Dr. David Eagleman founded Death Switch back in 2006. What is that? It was an on, uh, automated online service that allows you to send email after you die. Some of you don't do it while you're alive, so this is very... The, the, the idea was to pay $19.95 a year, and then when you pass away, uh, people that you select uh, can receive your computer passwords or a love note or the last word in an argument. Anybody that you choose. One enthusiastic subscriber said, you can store some part of yourself that lasts beyond your life. Well, not really. Death switch shut down a few years back. It's not <laughs> operational. But what do you want to leave behind? What do you want your legacy to be? Family specialist Delmer Holbrook did a survey and discovered the three things that fathers say the most to their children. Number one, I'm too tired. Number two, we don't have enough money. And number three, keep quiet. What do you want to be remembered for? What are the words that you will be remembered for? Several years ago, a publication asked people to sum up their life in six words. Here are some submissions. The psychic said I'd be richer. Not a good Christian, but trying. A nine-year-old boy with cancer wrote this. Cursed with cancer, blessed with friends. Or this one. One tooth, one cavity, life's cruel. <laughs> and another one. Thought I would have more impact. Thought I would have more impact. What impact have you had? What mark can you make in the time that you have? That God has given you? Well, Genesis 5 gives us an answer to that. We are studying the first book of the Bible, Genesis, and uh, I've called this next series of sermons, Leave a Legacy. Now, Genesis is full of fascinating stories that by God's grace we will get through in time. Chapter 5 is not one of those. Not at all. It's genealogy. And it's very tempting to push right past this. And yet this list of names is important for several reasons. One, it shows us that despite the curse of sin that we saw come into the world, the human family multiplies. It points us to the God who acts in human history. And it shows us the family line of Noah, this man God uses in his broken world. And also, it answers this question. How do I make my life count for something? How do I do that? Well, let's uh, begin in chapter 5, verse 1. This is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. So Adam was made in the image of God, Eve as well, and now that image is passed on to his son. So sin did not, and sin does not, annihilate our likeness to Yahweh Elohim. But this image is now marred by human sin. Now last week we dealt with Cain and Abel, who were also Adam's sons, but now only Seth is named. Uh, that's because Abel is dead, being killed by Cain, and Cain wanders the earth, a marked man under the curse of God. 
But as far as the plan of God, Cain's family has now become irrelevant. Can there be a greater failure than removing yourself from what God is doing in the world? What futility there is in simply being alive and not living in the story that God is writing. Well, verse 5, all the days that Adam lived were 930 years, and he died. Back in 2004, Hamida Muslani was reported to be the oldest person in the world. This Lebanese woman was 126 at the time and still working the family farm. And yet that is just a fraction of Adam's incredible lifespan, according to Scripture, as well as those who follow Adam. How did they live so long? Well, some factors might be a vegetarian diet, an active lifestyle, combined with an absence of radiation and no pollution, and without the widespread effects of evil. All of those things would impact longevity. Plus, Adam never had to travel on I-35. <laughs> now, what we hear, though, in this verse is the first note of a repetitive chorus. And he died. From the beginning, the Bible presents a worldview that other societies do not share. According to one historian, other civilizations, China, India, Babylon, Egypt, Greece, the Incas, the Mayans, the Aztecs, often conceive of time as eternally oscillating, so that all events are repeated an infinite number of times. But this basic belief produces a fatalism about the cosmos. In the biblical worldview, time is linear. So the Bible presents history with a beginning and an end. And what difference does that make? Well, that means individuals have purpose, direction, and what we do matters. And that's what we see in these opening pages of Genesis. The genealogies also remind us that our time on this earth is limited. That there is a beginning and an end to our time on this planet. And this list of generations points out the fact that no matter how long that earthly life lasts, death reigns. Ever since sin entered the world, the theme song of the human race is, And He Died. So how does this list guide us in making life count? Uh, and as we look at this list of ten names in Genesis 5, let me point out that this is almost certainly not a complete list of the generations from a, a standpoint of, of uh, understanding how things work. Uh, this, these ten names are more like landmarks not necessarily a continuous historical chronology. This is representative, not comprehensive. Uh, genealogies were written this way to aid memorization. We see this in the genealogies of Jesus uh, presented in the New Testament. Uh, also, we know that when the, the name Father was used, it, it could be referring to a direct father or a grandfather or a great-great-grandfather. And, and that, that phrase is repeated throughout here, that he fathered, and it names one, and then it says, had other sons and daughters. So each generation has a number of children whose name is not even recorded in the genealogy. Each family is productive, but the number of anonymous children isn't what's important. Each generation produces sons and daughters, but children aren't what make life count most. Name after name is announced, only to be followed by the death notice, and he died. Now the formula is broken. 
The death formula is broken in this genealogy. Very starkly. Verse 21. When Enoch had lived 65 years, he became the father of Methuselah. After he became the father of Methuselah, Enoch walked faithfully with God 300 years and had other sons and daughters. Altogether, Enoch lived a total of 365 years. Enoch walked faithfully with God. Then he was no more, for God took him away. So that idea of of walking with God is a powerful one. It reminds us of how things used to be. That the original fellowship Adam and Eve enjoyed with the Creator before it was interrupted by sin in the garden is, is something glorious. And Enoch's life shows that this connection with God is possible uh, even outside the perfect conditions of the garden. And even with sin present in the world, you can still walk with God faithfully. Enoch's lifespan is the shortest of anyone on this list. Uh, in contrast to the rest, Enoch simply was not. He disappeared from the earthly scene. He did not experience normal death. He walked with God and then was swept away to enjoy God forever. And that's what God promises to those of us who are in Christ Jesus. All those who trust in Jesus are promised an Enoch experience, so to speak. That they will be taken away to enjoy God forever. We studied that back in June during our series through 1 Thessalonians. And in chapter 4, we studied about how those who are alive at Christ's return will be caught up, will be snatched away with the resurrected believers to meet the Lord in the air. You see, the message of the gospel, the good news, is that life ultimately conquers death. That through Jesus, the stranglehold of death has been broken for all who put their trust in him. Christ's sacrificial death on the cross opens the way for all who trust in him to see the power of sin and death destroyed. Jesus is the only rescue from the fearful reign of death. As Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. That's John eleven twenty five. 25. I want to point out to you a detail in all of this that uh, you might not notice. Uh, there are two branches from, of the human family through Adam and Eve's two living sons, Cain and Seth. Cain, irrelevant to the purpose of God now in that sense, cursed and wandering the earth, um, and Seth. Now, now notice that the seventh in line from Adam on Seth's side is Enoch, who walked with God. When you compare that with the seventh in Adam's line through Cain in the genealogy presented in chapter 4, you find a bigamist who killed a guy. So right there, you see the stark difference between the godly and ungodly lines. Those who are following God and those who are not. Now, of all the children that Enoch fathered, and just like all the rest, he fathered other sons and daughters, and only one is mentioned, Only Methuselah's name is recorded with Enoch. And here's what it says about uh, Methuselah's life. Verse 27, altogether, Methuselah lived 969 years and then he died. So Methuselah is the longest living human in the biblical account. And yet it's interesting that he still didn't make it to triple figures, to the millennium. And I think since a thousand is a number of perfection, perhaps this is another way of indicating that humans always fall short of the perfect glory of God, which is why we need a Savior. Methuselah's only claim to fame as recorded in Scripture is that he lived a long time. Is that what we wanted to be known for? Wow, he was old. Wow, she just wouldn't die. That's not what I want to be known for. 
A life that matters is not about that. Now eventually, in this chapter, we come to the mention of Noah. He's the hero of the next few chapters in Genesis. Verse 28. When Lamech had lived 182 years, he fathered a son and called his name Noah, saying, Out of the ground that the Lord has cursed, this one shall bring us relief from our work and from the painful toil of our hands. So Lamech is discouraged with life under the curse, the results of sin. And by giving his son the name Noah, which means rest, Lamech is expressing hope for the future. And the next several chapters focus on how God uses Noah to rescue the human family. Uh, Although Lamech looks for comfort and for rest from his son Noah, only one has ever been born who can provide comfort ultimately and rest for the world. That's Christ alone. Now what was special about Noah? Well, in the next chapter, we were told that Noah walked with God. It's chapter 6, verse 9. So here in this genealogy in chapter 5, we meet two men who are described as walking with God. And even though Enoch's life was shortest, he still pleased God, as Hebrews 11:5 states. This pleasing, walking with God. So what does this genealogy teach us? Here's what we want to focus on. That the true impact of our lives is not measured by longevity or fertility, but in how we please God. But in how we please God, our walking with God. Leaving a legacy happens when we please God. Living to please God is how we make a difference to the generations of history. It is not in leaving cute and dimpled children bearing your name. It is not in obsessing about your health and clinging to your life and trying to spend your way into happiness. You make a difference in any age and at any stage by walking with God. Genesis 5 tells us that the important thing is not working at extending your time on this earth, but in using the time that you have to walk with God, to please God. There's a smartphone app called We Croak. We Croak. Sign up and you will get five reminders a day. And most of the messages are, don't forget, you're going to die. And the messages are sent at random times and at any moment, just like death. One of the creators of the app says this, we need to be reminded of the inevitability of death to keep us from being caught up in things that don't matter. Stressing about minutia and tons of unimportant things But when we remember our mortality, we can say, oh, I don't have to think about this and move on. See, I think there's a good purpose behind it. I'm not getting that app, but I think there's a good purpose behind it. (laughs) We do need to keep focused on what really matters, what's important. So ask yourself that question. How do I make my life count? What legacy am I leaving behind? Where have I invested my time and energy? What has been my priority? See, it doesn't have to be earth-shaking. Doesn't have to be world changing. Walk with God and let everything else fall into place. The specialness of your life is not in its duration. The specialness of your life is not in the number of descendants, but it's in the focus of your life, living to please God, to walk with God. Because the roll call of death continues until Jesus returns. So, how will you use the time that you have? And, and let me point out that pleasing God is not some mystical, impossible task. In the movie Chariots of Fire, runner 
Eric Liddell says, God made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure. So, how do I please God? Well, let me give you some suggestions. Pleasing God is when, when you do what he created you to do. When, when you love and forgive others, you please God. When you worship and you thank God in every situation. When you provide a godly example. I think that's uh, one of the things that our legacy grandparenting conference will focus on. And I encourage you, if you're a grandparent, to be part of that. To learn how to please God at this stage of your life in, in investing in your children and grandchildren in a godly example. And you please God when you use your resources to expand God's kingdom. Uh, we are next year uh, going to look at putting on hosting uh, a legacy planning for end of life. And so that you can understand how to best use your resources in a way that, that honors God at this stage of your life. So, and then finally, you're going to please God when you serve others in Jesus' name however you can, as well as you can, for as long as you can. You see, this is what keeps me going. I know that in some way I need to continue to serve God with the gifts he's given me as long as I'm able to put two cohesive sentences together. As long as I have the strength to do that. In whatever way that he wants to use me, I need to keep being used until he takes me from here in one way or another. And that's, that's how we should approach life. And maybe today you're weary in well-doing. Maybe you wonder if your involvement matters. You, you might say, well, I'm just doing this little thing. And you're tempted to abandon your ministry or, or to ditch your marriage or to resign your position or to stop your giving or to drop your testimony or to retire your spiritual gift or to quit investing energy in serving or to cease putting time in prayer and Bible study. And you want to give up, give in, or get away. Please don't forget that today and every day you have the opportunity to leave a legacy by choosing to please God. You're still here as am I. Today and every day, you have that opportunity to choose to live in a way that pleases God, to walk with God. My friend Kevin Miller says that his dad spent most of his life working really hard to make money. But then he made a tactical error, Kevin says. Kevin and his mom were going to church, and their dad decided to come too. And that day, Kevin's dad responded to the good news and decided to follow Jesus. He was 60 years old at that point. He began reading his Bible, and his life changed. And when he told Kevin this, he said, I've started to tithe, and it's been a great adventure. Kevin was shocked that his father would do anything like that. Then at age 70, his dad suffered a heart attack, and he lay in a hospital bed for five days, and then he died. At the funeral home, a woman came up to Kevin. He'd never seen her before. She said this, I was in a bad marriage. My husband was beating me, and I had to escape to save my life. I couldn't support myself. Your dad paid for me to go to junior college and get a degree so I could be a dental hygienist. He paid for the whole thing, and nobody else knew about it. Your dad literally saved my life. Now, reflecting on that, Kevin says this, I wonder what would have been my dad's legacy if he'd kept loving wealth. He would have died with a lot of money, but not a lot of love. Instead, he learned how to keep his life free from the love of money. And when he died, he left behind a woman who knows every day when she cleans people's teeth, it's a miracle she's still alive. Are you using your resources 
to make a difference for the glory of God. John Maxwell put it this way, if you desire to create a legacy, then you need to leave something in others. And that's not John Maxwell, that's June Brown. Amy and I had the privilege of knowing June. After serving in the Air Force during the Korean War, she spent 35 years as a missionary in Sierra Leone, West Africa. At about 10 years ago, 14 former students and their families came all the way to Pennsylvania to celebrate her legacy. These nurses, physicians, pastors, university professors came from surrounding states and they represented many others who were scattered around the world. It was a surprise to June, which I was nervous about her surviving the surprise. It was such a shock. You see, here she is with some of those who arrived, and she got to see the part of her legacy on the side of heaven. None of us are going to see it till we get there. We're not going to know until we get to heaven. But there June is with a number of these folks. And in an African culture, these are known as the children of Miss June Brown. And her children crowned her African Queen Mother that night. June never married. She had no biological children. And yet she got to see a few of her many spiritual children before she died in 2020. What are you investing in others? Creating that legacy is something you can continue to do until your last breath. You can do it without spending a day in Africa. You can spend it without having much money at all. You don't need incredible skills. You don't need a long, healthy life. In your generation, in your time and place on this planet, you can be God's woman. You can be God's man. Because the true impact of our lives is not measured by longevity or fertility, but in how we please God, the pleasure we give God. That was the legacy of Enoch and Noah. They walked with God. That's how you'll leave a legacy. And that metaphor of walking is carried over into the New Testament. For example, 1 John 2 says to walk as Jesus did. Galatians 5 says to walk by the Spirit. Ephesians 5 says to walk in love. Colossians 1 says to walk worthy of the Lord. 3 John 1 says to walk in the truth. And what is a walk but slow, steady, persistent, forward progress? Now, when I first started playing organized sports, I realized now I played scared. I played scared. In other words, I played not to lose. And so when things didn't go well, I would get down on myself. And I would often give up. It took me years to learn a different mindset. You're down by 20 points in the fourth quarter? Keep going. Two outs, two strikes in the ninth, don't quit. You're facing a love 40 triple match point, give your all. Let me boil it down to two words for you to remember as you leave a legacy. Two words, the, the title of one of my favorite songs from my favorite band, U2. The two simple words are, walk on, walk on. This is the Lord's message for you today. Whether you need encouragement to get going or to keep going, you can leave a legacy if you walk on. Continue in the persistent forward progress of following the Savior no matter what. In Jesus' name, walk on. By the Spirit's power, walk on. With joyful hope, walk on. By the grace of God, walk on. Until your last breath, walk on. 
Praise be to God. Would you stand with me and let's close. God, our Father, may we go from this place determined to please you in every way. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus. For as we see darkness all around us, we recognize that our Savior is the light of the world. May we walk in that light and shine like stars in the universe. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.